Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in today. And I'm super excited to be catching up with uh, Cole Cameron. And he's in Texas today. And, and I'm here in New Zealand, of course. And so we had to kind of juggle things around and make this work. But I'm real excited to hear more of his story and hear a little bit about what he's been up to. I think I met Cole probably three or four years ago down here in New Zealand. Him and his dad had come down to help run some clinics and demonstrations at Equidays, the National Horse Expo here in New Zealand. And it was a privilege to meet both of them fine gentlemen. And so, like I said, really looking forward to catching up with him, seeing what he's been up to, hearing a bit more about their story. And uh, so without further ado, how you doing, Cole? Hey, doing great. It's good to talk to you again and see you again. It's been a couple of years. It has. Yeah, the, the world's changed a little bit the last few years. We haven't been able to cross the ditch like we normally do. I know it's been a shame. I miss coming to New Zealand and that part of the world. And it's just so fun getting over there. And it's so different than what I'm used to here in Texas. So hopefully that day comes again. Absolutely. We sure are hoping that we'll be able to start traveling again here pretty quick. And it'd sure be great to have you guys back down here. I know everybody really enjoyed it. Yes, sir. So Cole, tell me a little bit more about your your background, just for those who may not know, um, obviously being the son of Craig Cameron, you've got quite a good background when it comes to horses and horsemanship. And it would be interesting to hear a little bit what it was like growing up uh, in that in that setting and, and just a little bit about your history and, and where horses fit into your childhood and your and your coming of age years. Yes, sir. So obviously growing up around him, my dad, um, I spent a lot of time around horses. Uh, I spent a lot of time being around colts, a lot of time, uh, a lot of time around him kind of starting colts in the right way and in a more natural way. Um, so I actually got into rodeo when I was younger and I started roping, I started bulldogging and, um, kind of went down that path for a while. And, uh, also I played sports and, and so it, it, it took a while. I mean, I always rode horses as a child and, and my mom was a, um, a rode cutting horses and she rode cutters really, really well. And she showed horses and she had a great seat. And so I got to, I got to spend some time, you know, on some, on some nice horses of hers and, and really learn how to sit a horse well and, and, uh, you know, pair that with a little bit of roping and, and, um, a little bit of some horsemanship. And so I kind of had a pretty well-rounded childhood on horseback. Um, I played sports, I played football and I kind of pursued that for a while. And I played football for a little bit in college. And, um, once that ended, I decided that I wanted to get back into rodeo. So I went to the college rodeo team and, and I got a tryout and got on, got a scholarship and I made the uh, college national finals rodeo twice and, and then kind of had a accident, um, couple of years later and blew my knee out. And I decided at that point, I'm going to get back into the, um, I want to learn and, and be a student of the horse and, and do some horsemanship. And, and from then on, I really, um, I worked for some really good horse trainers 
spent a lot of time out at Al Dunnings out in Arizona uh, before coming home. And then probably the last six, seven years, I've, I've really just been working with my dad and really just trying to learn, um, you know, this art that they call horsemanship. That's, that's where we are now. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's quite an adventure you got going on there. Um, so with your, your rodeo that you did and, and in college and, and stuff, did, was that, um, was that roping and bulldogging as well? Is that what you kind of stuck with? Yes, sir. It was. Yep. Yeah. And I got, I hurt myself bulldogging. So, um, sure. my first year I was, I was filling my permit as a steer wrestler and I blew my knee out and had a knee surgery and I was out probably a year. So, and it was tough coming back from that. And I just decided that I just don't want that type of injury again and I need to kind of pursue a career. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that kind of a thing could really set, set you back if you're out for that long and really could have an impact on things. So, uh, yeah, I I hear you. I hear you there on that deal. Yeah. When you're 25 and, and hurt and, uh, it's, you know, it's, it just kind of makes you realize a lot of things. So I'm glad I made the decision I did for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So now your mom rode cutting horses and obviously your dad's very well known as a horsemanship clinician and, and obviously it starts a lot of colts and always has. Um, Mm -hmm. but if I seem to have it in the back of my mind that he was involved in rodeo many, many years ago as well. Is that, is that true? Yes, he was. He's, he loves rodeo. He's very passionate about it and he rode bulls and I think he rode some bareback horses and, uh, he did it for a long time and fought some injuries, but he, you know, you go to him the house, he's watching bull riding. And he, I think his, his one thing that he, he could go back and do something again, it'd be go ride bulls and make the NFR. That's he, he loves it. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty mm-hmm. cool history to, to come from. And uh, what a, what a great way to grow up and, and have that versatile, well-rounded foundation as a, as a kid, boy, you, you, you just can't buy that kind of experience. No, you can't. And uh, looking back, it's it was just such a great opportunity, and it still is. So, yes, sir. absolutely, absolutely. So now that you're back at home and working with your dad, you're starting Colts. You're doing a few clinics. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of just happened fairly seamlessly as you, as you came back after college and after that injury is sort of slotted in and and just jumped in with both feet, or how did that kind of kind of transpire? I definitely jumped in with both feet, uh, but it, it was, it's taken, you know, every bit of eight or nine, nine years now to get where I, where I am. Um, it was not easy at first and, you know, getting back into cult starting and horsemanship and, and there's a lot to it and it's really, really hard. You know, you, you know exactly what I mean. Um, so there was a lot of times there at the beginning where I was just like, you know, this, what am I doing? This isn't worth it. I just want to go rodeo or, do this or that because it was kind of the easy way out for me but you know I stuck to it and uh, I've just spent a lot of time with these horses and just spent a lot of time with the old man just just figuring stuff out and trying to find that feel so and it just takes a lot of horses to really to to develop that feel absolutely and and on the clinic side of it a lot of clinics to really to get that knack of, of teaching people and be able to get on different problem horses at clinics and be able to look at 12 different horses in the clinic and and fix every one of them, you know, and, and that, that's an art of its own. So uh, both go hand in hand. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I don't know about you, but the, you know, the more you do it, the more you just want to do it or delve into, you know, the intricacies of it and you, you 
might think you have something figured out one day or one year. And by the next year, you're just thinking, man, there's so much more to this, you know, and, and really like is. you say on the horse side of things, but on the people side of things too, you just come up against a situation or a person that uh, just doesn't get it or needs you to say it a different way or explain things or put things in front of them a little bit different. And, and it's just a never ending learning experience. That's been my experience. It really is. My dad always says, you finally figure it out and then you die. So he could be right on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. I think Tom Dorrance and his brother, Bill and Ray, those guys all said something similar, like, uh, oh, yeah, there's just not enough lifetime. You know, they were in their 70s and 80s and 90s and still saying they're just, you know, just getting things figured out, you know, so. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, for sure. That's right. So have you guys always been based in Texas then? Is that, is that where you grew up? And We have. Um, we spent a little time in Arizona and New Mexico. We kind of had, uh, my mom is from Arizona and she had a place out there. Uh, they, they purchased a place together a long time ago in New Mexico. So we kind of jumped around the Southwest, but our, you know, our um, home, our, our heart was always here in Texas. So, and that's, we, we're, we're here now full time and and, you know, rain or shine or hot or cold, we're here. So, yeah. And it works out better because it's hard to switch around and, and go different places. So, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah you, yeah. you know better than anybody. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, traveling with four young kids across the Pacific for a few months every year is not for the faint of heart. No, sir. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and I don't have any experience with that, but, you know, someday I will. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So what has been one thing that surprised you the most in working with horses, would you say? I would say just the, uh, how, how every horse is in, in individual, how, how different every horse is. Um, you know, like today I started four horses today, put a first ride on four different horses and they all are two, three-year-olds. They all came in at the same time and put a ride on every one of them. And just every horse is just, I mean, it just, everyone has its own um, quirk about them, their own something that you have to work around and they're always throwing something at you. And I would say that just every single horse is so different. And maybe 10 years ago before I got back into this uh, really, you know, really got back into it. I just never really thought of it like that. You just think of, Oh, it's just a horse. It's just this or that. And and it's not, you know, every horse is going to bring its, bring its own, um, it just its own way of, of, of going about things. And you just kind of, as a trainer, um, cult starter clinician, you have to figure out how to work around that and work with them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's so easy to, I have always found to find things that work, right? I mean, we find things that work and sometimes that isn't easy, but we, we, we know kind of what'll work with most of them, or we kind of go along with a little bit of a loose process or a little bit of a loose idea of where we're going with things and a progression of things. And then you come up against one where it's just, something gets hung up every single time on one little spot or one little detail. And, and you just think, well, it, it, you know, it works. So you kind of insist a little bit or you, you know, and sure enough, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You just got to back off a little and find another way around. And, and it's, it's just incredible to me and kind of tagging on with what you're saying, how, if you let them, those horses will help you learn how to be just that much better about how you're approaching things. And, and just have more versatility to help more and more different kinds of horses or different situations. 
That's right. Yeah. Just it's, it's all a process, you know, you just have to trust the process and, and continue to um, just continue to just continue to be a student of the horse. Like my dad always says. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's, that's a big one. What would you say is one of your biggest challenges in working with horses? What do you find? What do you find challenging? Um, well, I start a lot of the Colts and um, yeah, there's, a, there's, we, we, we get a lot where they haven't been handled at all. And, and that's pretty challenging. Um, you know, just, they're just wild. And um, that obviously comes with challenges in its own, uh, you know, like kind of like road to the horse that similar to that, we get just some, they've just never been halter broken. They're three. And it's just, it's just, I think it's pretty tough on one. Then we also get a lot that have just been plumb, just spoiled too much. And, and I think that's almost worse. I'd rather have one that's not handled at all, but um, that's probably the most challenging for me is just kind of getting out the other uh, kind of, it's like, I always use the example, you know, if you, if you take your vehicle to the mechanic and, and you buy a new engine and you take the box and you hand it to the mechanic and, and you say, you know, how long is this going to take? And he's like, Oh, I can get this in in a week. No problem. But if you, if you try to put the engine in the truck itself and, figure this out and then you, you know, wrong part here, wrong part there. And then you just pull it out and you take it to the mechanic. And he said, well, why, why did you take it out of the box? Why did you, why, you know, why did you decide to do this on your own? And, uh, and that's kind of like the comparison I make with horses, you know, just don't take the engine out of the box. Just let me have it. So I think fixing mistakes would be the most challenging thing. Yeah. I would, I would have to agree with that, that they are always learning, you know, and however, yes, sir a person is interacting with them or whatever is being expected of them in those early formative years really comes to play when you go to start one, because that's their current understanding or whatever it is. And it is almost easier if they just haven't had almost any handling, at least they haven't got any wrong ideas. And, yeah, you know, you can kind of start in with a bit of a clean slate and the other mm -hmm. way, like you say, if that, if that engine's been taken out of the box and the parts have been swapped around and, and messed up, you've got some undoing to do, which is, I agree, it can be very challenging to help those horses get a different idea once they have an idea. Yeah, undoing is the right word. That's yeah, it. yeah, for sure, for sure. Would there be one horse in your, in your experience that you'll never forget? Yeah, there would be. Um, there was one horse I got in and he recently, and he was a five-year-old and um, he had never been handled at all, or he came off a ranch and um, he'd really never been around people. And that, that was probably, a, this was a few, a couple of years ago and really a couple of years ago, it was probably five years ago, but the first time I really had to really get into the, you know, the tool chest and, and really figure things out because he kind of changed my whole thinking process on it versus the ones you get that are two and three and they've been handled and haltered and saddled. And, and this horse is like putting an elk in the middle of the round pen and, and getting to work, you know, and he, he kind of changed my thinking a lot on, on, wow, that, you know, this is a, um, living, breathing, uh, decision-making animal that is just, you know, he does, he thinks I'm a, just, <clears throat> I'm a complete predator and, and, and he does not want anything to do with me. And, um, just the whole process that, with that horse, it just, it took way longer. You just had to take, approach it from a whole different, um, light. And I think that's what got me most prepared for road to the horse working with one like him. So he was kind of the first of that type of horse for me to work. So he was kind of special to look back on. For sure. So, 
Yeah, for sure. The, the uh, ones like that that are challenging or just that little bit different or a lot of times it's a combination of things. They haven't been handled and they're a little bit flighty or reactive about life anyway. And, and they just mm-hmm. don't take to, you know, domesticated things very well, whatever the combination is, boy, it really sets you up to have to think through some things, oh, yeah. and set things up for success for them. So I can, I can totally relate to that. I've, I've got a few of those yeah. too, that, that you just never forget. You can, you can pinpoint in your memory, some of the things they taught you and some of the things that you use with almost every horse after that, that you never would have touched on if they didn't need it, you know, and yet it can be so helpful for so many of them. That's right. They're like a math problem that you have to sit there and try to solve and figure out, you know, those, that type of horse. And you, you learn so many different equations along the way for, for different horses or similar. Or, uh, so it goes a long way, I think. That's right. That's right. I've got a little set of techniques that I use, you know, when I'm getting ready to mount one for the first time and I just break it down into different elements that I want them to be, you know, familiar with before I throw a leg over them. And, you know, if they're saying it's no big deal, I'm cool with that. Both eyes, both sides with a bit of movement, then cool, you know, but if you haven't asked the question, you know, and, and, uh, and some of them are not going to be okay with sort of the combination of all those elements coming together as you swing a leg over and, and whatnot, you're just, you could save yourself a world of hurt right there. And I'll, I'll never forget some of the horses that taught me that, you know, the ones that you couldn't swap eyes behind their blind spot, you know, without them absolutely (laughs) flipping out, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) So you mentioned spending a bit of time with Al Dunning out in Arizona. What was that like? What sort of led to that? And and how long were you out there? What did you get up to? Well, my mom, she actually rode cutting horses for Al back in the early nineties, late eighties. So I kind of had that uh, connection there. And then he's become pretty good friends with my dad over the years and they've done some clinics together and goes to expos. So I've gotten to know Al pretty well. And um, I kind of had just got back going in the, you know, riding horses full time and, and training horses. And, and I was always riding horses, but, you know, rodeoing and team roping, that's a little different than out there um, starting horses. So I really wanted to go learn from somebody else because you go back at 25 and you start working for your dad. It's just, it's not always the easiest thing. So <laughs> I was like, maybe I just need to go somewhere and work for a couple of years. And and so I got in with Al through, through my parents and um, stayed out there for you know, almost two years. And it was a great experience. Al's a phenomenal horseman. I think he's one of the best horsemen of all time. And, you know, in my mind, so I learned so much from him on putting just a great foundation on a horse and what, what's right to do, what's wrong to do. And, um, you know, that training for me has come a long way. So it opened my eyes up to a whole new world of horse training. So I owe a lot to that, to that barn and those trainers there and all the people. It was a great experience. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was. That's awesome that you were able to have that opportunity. And especially, you know, as young as what you did, you know, just to lay that foundation or build on the foundation you already have, but really, you know, add to that experience and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So now you recently uh, were able to compete at Road to the Horse. And of course, we want to hear a little bit about that, but Give us a little bit backstory on that. What led up to that? And obviously, um, you know, last year was a little bit messed up and you had a postponement in this in the schedule. And so what led up to that? Had it was that something that was on your radar at all for prior to that? Or or how did how did that all transpire? And then tell us a little bit about how that went and, and what it was like. It's always been on my radar. I've been going to Road to the Horse since the first 
Road to the Horse, which was called In a Whisper Challenge in 2001. And my dad, Pat Pirelli, and Josh Lyons competed at that at uh, downtown Sundance Square in Fort Worth, Texas, outside under the lights. It was amazing. So he's competed at Road to the Horse, I don't know, four or five times at this point. So I've, over the last 20 years, I have spent a lot of time watching and, and just dreaming of being at Road to the Horse someday. Um, and, you know, they have a whole application process. So every year I would just go online and throw my application in, you know. So, and then finally they started this wild card deal. So kind of up and coming trainers um, can, can get a shot at it. You know, you got to go through the wild card and, and win to potentially get in the main competition. So I was like, heck yeah. And then like this year, they're going to open up the wild card to even more competitors, which I think is great. So hopefully they keep, keep doing that. And um, so I had a, they called me and asked if I wanted to do the wild card. And I was like, heck yeah. So uh, they announced me in 2019 and it was canceled in 2020. So, which might've been a blessing for me because I spent a whole nother year preparing and starting horses and, and working on my method, working on my techniques. Um, and I, I just, I didn't let a day go by that I did not study something, you know, with starting horses, horsemanship, the whole, the whole nine yards. So uh, took two years to compete, but I'm not complaining. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome that, uh, you know, you, you, your dad and you were involved for that many years and were had that on your radar and sort of as a dream and, and something that you were working towards. And then, yeah, to, to have that kind of dedication leading up to it. And, and I remember seeing something on your social media, you know, whatever it would have been two years ago or something, how you were going to just get straight into cult starting and just, you know, really start making a study of it to a, just a no, whole nother degree. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. man, that's, that's awesome for you to be able to do that. So what was it like? Uh, was it like you expected? I mean, obviously you were, you, you knew what, what to expect as far as the event was, what, it, what's, what it's all about and what it's like, but was it like you expected to actually be in that ring and to be participating in that? It was, it was, it was a dream come true for me. I absolutely loved it, but I thought I'd be a little more like, level-headed when I first got in there but you get in that round pin you're just like oh my gosh you know you kind of lose sight of like (laughs) you know it's easy just to get lost in there and just to you know forget like what you're what what you practiced you know and and to just kind of lose it in a better sense and so that you know that that you have to I had to kind of bring myself back down and be like relax let's just let's just do the thing we're just starting a cult we're just starting one cult and kind of when I was able to back myself off um you know, I kind of, I kind of had had my um, techniques and, and everything kind of going like I expected it to. But so yes and no, it was everything I thought it'd be. But no, because I thought that I would be a little bit more like ready for the moment. At yeah, first. yeah, I can imagine that it'd be pretty overwhelming. And uh, I mean, you know, you and I both are familiar with that feeling, you know, where we're stepping out of our comfort zone and it might be at an expo or it might be, I mean, for me, I remember my right. first equities, you know, you step, step out of, in front of, you know, a few hundred people. And, and I remember my first equities, I was uh, fresh down here into New Zealand. I just started my business a few months ago and, you know, I had taught a handful of clinics in front of, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30 people, you know, and here I'm, I at national horse expo, you talk about being out of your depth. I know exactly how you felt. Yeah. You, know, as as you just, your mind just goes blank for a little bit. You're just kind of, holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mine goes blank. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's cool. So in doing what you did and, and working that cult, getting that cult started and stuff, 
how did you find the balance for yourself in even psychologically in your horsemanship and what you felt needed to happen for that horse versus the competitive side of what you wanted, you know, to be getting done for the competition. How did you balance that up and how did you manage that during those days? Well, you can only ask so much of those horses and, you know, you obviously you have a goal every day of what you want to accomplish and, and we all have our own ways of doing you know, what you have to do in the competition and we all have our own ways of getting there. So obviously there was a lot of things maybe I wanted to get done, but in, in my mind, I, um, that, that Colt wouldn't have been able to handle it because he, he was just, he was a lot tougher than I thought he was. Um, you know, I liked him when I went to pick him because he was just kind of, um, he wasn't overly aggressive. He wasn't too bashful. He was kind of right in the middle, always ears forward, pretty interested in everything. But when I got up there to him, um, he just was a lot tougher a lot more watchy than I, than I expected him to be. So I kind of had to back off a little bit and uh, um, not be so pushy. Like the first day I was maybe just a little too pushy with them. And I just kind of decided, Hey, back off, like change your game plan. Otherwise we're just going to, we're just going to blow this horse up. So um, I think I kind of, I think you, I think it's important at that deal to kind of come in with a couple different strategies and, you know, cause most of the time it's not going to go your way and you're going to have to, you're going to have to change things up. So it's kind of how Absolutely. it went for me. Absolutely. I, I totally can see that. I agree. You know, you go in with a general game plan and, and maybe some ideas of what you'd like to see happen every day. And then uh, it really is based on the horse and how he's taking not only what you're trying to show him and, and help him learn or understand, but also, you know, the environment and, and, you know, just being in that environment for some horses just almost blows their mind in and of itself. So it's a super challenging deal. It was. And, it, you know, being in Fort Worth, it was a much smaller compact stadium or arena. And the people, the, the, the electricity in that building was just so much. It was so much. It was hard on these horses and the fans are just right on top of you and yeah. music and the, it was so loud. So this horses, all of them had a tough time there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so you're lined up to compete next year then. Is that right? I am. Yes, sir. Yeah. As a main competitor. Yeah. That's exciting. You're looking forward to that. I can't wait. You know, I have a lot of, um, other things I'm preparing for this year. So it'll make the time go by a little quicker. So that's good. But, uh, I'm just always, always practicing, always starting horses. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep it rolling. Yeah. Keep, keep on doing it. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we talked a little bit before about working with horses and working with people and how it's an ongoing learning process for us and what we do. And what would you say that you do purposefully or, or, or how do you go about just making sure that you are communicating with people the best you can or getting better at, at, um, setting people up for success as well at your clinics and such? Well, I think uh, that just, that goes hand in hand with the experience. And I, I think just spending more time with people and I've, I've started doing more lessons and, and more weekend clinics and, and really just um, start. I, I feel like before I didn't work enough with people. I just worked with horses. So I, it was just, I had a hard time kind of getting through. So I think, I think for me personally, just the experience of working with more people, um, kind of being more patient with them, you know, knowing in my mind that 
Um, not everything that I do should be expected for them to do as well. So I kind of had to change my whole mindset on it. And, uh, and I think just getting more experience in, in the, in the clinic world has allowed me to do that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just very, very similar to the horses, just like we were saying before, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to learn and you want to get better then just doing it and figuring out how to do it better as you go along for each person in each situation, and you can't help, but get better at doing it, you know, just by the experience. Right. You just have to keep doing it. You get, you get rusty at teaching the clinics as rusty as you get to start in Colts if you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so you travel quite a bit with those uh, when you're, when you're doing clinics, do you tend to hit the road for a series of clinics or do you sort of do one-offs as you, as you travel around or how do you work that with the horses that you have in at home? You know, this last year since COVID and, and uh, coming or to being announced to road to the horse, I guess I kind of went on a, a long tour that year in 2019. But after that, I really haven't done a lot of clinics. I've only I've tapered down to maybe just 10 a year right now. So um, because my goals have been to to, you know, be the best I can be for road to the horse. So I, I spent two years. I'm just up my training program and, and I've slowed down my clinics. Cause I just, um, that's, that's kind of my goal right now. I want to win road of the horse and, and now I want to win it again. So I'm just gonna, I'm going to keep up with the cold starting and the horse training. And, and once those road of the horse days are behind me, I'm going to start doing more clinics. Sure. So, yeah. That sounds like a good game plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Very cool. I've got a good question here for you, um, but I'm going to save it till a little bit later. It's sort of a question that I like to ask everybody about legacy and, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I wanted to touch on the, uh, the cowboy challenge type stuff. Now you're going to yeah. have to refresh my memory because I know your dad was instrumental in, in establishing, um, the whole idea really over, over there in the States. And, and what is it that you, what, what, what's your name for it? They over here, it's called the extreme cowboy association. That's right. That's right. Yep. And, and I think that there's a group down here that is associated with, with that. And then there's the other group cowboy challenge or whatever, whatever it's called. And, and, and of course, mm -hmm. very, very similar ideas and, and, and goals and such. It's been really, really neat to see how that's, growing down here. I know you guys were uh, involved in putting some demonstrations and, and education at the uh, National Horse Expo here uh, in the last few years before before COVID. And, and it was just, it was sort of getting off the ground in the years prior to that. And it's just exploded in the last probably five years down here with uh, all sorts of riders, all sorts of disciplines, get, just getting in just to have some fun or gain some experience or help their horse be braver or help themselves be braver and those sorts of situations. So tell us a little bit about the history of that and, and how your dad got, got the idea and kind of how it developed. Just, just fill us in a little bit on, on that. He started it probably in 99 or 2000 around then. And it was really going to these expos and, and just trying to come up with something that he could do at the expos that was a little different than, than everything that was, you know, that taking place, you know, at, at the common expo back then. So, and he kind of, he would implement these obstacles in his clinics and then, you know, he, he would get his clinic people out there in front of the crowd and, and, and make them kind of do a little course and, and throw in a spin or a, 
lead change and just different things in between. And, and then they timed it and then they judged it and timed it. And so then everybody loved it. So he decided to make it into a sport and, and he had his TV show going back then. And, you know, everybody loved TV back in the two thousands and pre internet era. So he, he, he did a big cowboy challenge here at the ranch and uh, it was huge. You know, everybody loved it. And so then they started the sport after that. And he called that Cowboy Challenge. So, and that's where the New Zealanders saw that show on TV, which is the Extreme Cowboys, but he called it Cowboy Challenge. And um, that, that blew up in the Cowboy Challenge. But that was the start of EXCA as well. So it just started by um, really at, at those big expos. I'll be darned. That's an interesting. Yep. That's interesting. I think it's a fantastic idea just to give people and horses a purpose that they can share with, you know, the goal being, you know, to improve the horsemanship and the communication between a, a rider and their horse. But Absolutely. I think any way that we can to uh, provide purpose for riders is just so, so valuable. And like for me, same thing down here, you know, bringing in the idea of cattle working and stuff. And yeah. I get a lot of people, you know, that just cannot connect the dots and they're, and they're just thinking, well, that's kind of a cowboy Western, you know, cutting horse kind of a thing to do. What, what good is it going to do me? And, and it's just so cool to see dressage riders and endurance riders and show jumpers and stuff coming along and just learning how, you know, we're not, we're not just cutting cattle. We're, we're doing all kinds of things, sorting and tracking and boxing and, you know, and, and, uh, right. but giving them that purpose and especially to give the horse that purpose for those maneuvers and to advance our maneuverability with purpose and, and having that shared aim is just, I think it's revolutionary. Yeah, I think it is too. And, uh, just like you're saying with, with all the different, uh, things that you get out of working a cow, you know, even like stopping, backing, turning, going with the cow, everything like that. Same thing with the XCA and, and that kind of started, uh, at the ranch, you know, going over, going over log jumps, going over a bridge, going over some deadfall on the ground. So then we kind of translated that to the arena and it just gives a lot of people an opportunity to go compete, um, take some horses that maybe wouldn't be a rain cow horse, but they would be a good obstacle horse. And it gives, gives everybody and, and their horses a chance to go win a buckle, be a part of a group, have fun, go to a world finals and, and just, you know, be a part of something. So that's, it's been a good, it's been a good family sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like I said, it's, it's really booming down here and, and a lot of people are, are interested and there's a gaining interest in it. And it's just exciting to see something like that just coming in and really helping change the way the equine industry looks here in New Zealand and giving more and more people the opportunity to go and compete and do something fun and have a good focus on horsemanship while they're doing it, which I think is really important, obviously. I agree. Yeah. It's great down there. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's an interesting place. I've, um, I get a lot of people ask me, you know, what are the differences or, or what's it like, you know, and probably one of the biggest things is the variety of disciplines and the variety of breeds of horses down here. It's, it's pretty amazing. Back in the States, I worked with, you know, mostly quarter horses, paint horses and grade horses and a few Mustangs yeah. here and there and whatnot. And, and uh, down here, it's it's just so many different types and breeds. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what your, what, what would you like to be remembered for? What's your legacy that you're working on developing? You're still a young man. Um, and obviously, you have 
have big goals and, and aspirations. You've got a huge achievement under your belt with Road to the Horse. Where are you going with this? What, what sort of legacy would you like to, to leave? You know, my legacy is I'd like to continue the legacy. I'd like to continue my dad's legacy. Um, I'd like to keep our just Cameron tradition of, of uh, just being great horsemen, great uh, people, students of the horse. And, and I'd like to pass that on to my kids and, and, and just keep this going, you know, um, just probably like, like you do as well. Obviously, I want to be a, a great Colt star. I want to be a world champion Colt star. I want to be the, one of the best of all time. But, but when it comes down to it, I, I just want to continue that, that great legacy that my dad started and, and I want to keep it rolling. So that's the most important to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so neat to have, have that legacy from, from a generation ago to, to pick up and, and build into and grow into and develop and, and carry on. And, and like you say, hopefully pass on to uh, such a, such an awesome thing to, to, well, inherit, right. It's, it's, it's like yeah. an inheritance in, in a way. It is. And um, yeah, that's, you got, you got big shoes to fill. Oh, I do. I know. You know, and he, <laughs> he came from an amazing era and he got to work on ranches back in the you know, sixties and uh, early days. And he rode with some guys that were born in the late 1800s, you know, so he, he's learned and ridden. He's learned so much, you know, in his day that we will never experience or ever get the opportunity. And he's ridden with some amazing horsemen. And, um, so he, he shows me and tells me things all the time. And, and I'm just like, yeah, hey, I'll write them down because I just want to remember, you know, because some of that stuff will, will just be gone forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're absolutely right. There's, Mm-hmm. you know, the, the knowledge or the experiences that, um, that, that generation had and the changes that were coming about through the last century, you know, century and a half, whatever it is. And, and man, yeah, if you eat good for you, write it down. Cause it's, it, mm-hmm. otherwise it could be gone, gone forever. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, Cole. So fill us in a little bit on, what you do, what you have to offer. We've talked a lot about it, but where can people find, uh, find out more about what you do, websites, social media links and that. And we'll of course have these things in the show notes when we, when we um, launch this episode, but go ahead and just tell, tell people where they can find more out about you guys, you and your dad. So we have our Facebook page that we try to run. We try to do most of our business on there, but we both fall short of it sometimes but craig and cole cameron rides smart horsemanship um you know we're a team we 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 try to do as much as we can together and then i've also started my own website cole-cameron.com um obviously i'm on facebook and instagram but we like to definitely keep our core right there on facebook and it's just kind of easiest these days so yes sir for sure for sure you bet you bet well that's great so I just appreciate your time, Cole. I appreciate you uh, making the time to catch up with me. And, and it's been great to hear a little bit more about your history and your story. Uh, really look forward to ho- hopefully seeing you again down here in New Zealand in the, in the coming years. And who knows, we might cross paths when we get back to the States as well. Yeah, that'd be great. You need to get your name in the hat for Road to the Horse someday. I know, <laughs> I know you oh, can do it. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand needs another competitor. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Well, we'll talk to you later. Well, that's all from us today. 
Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.